Well, good morning. If you would uh, turn your Bibles to the eighth chapter of Romans, Romans chapter eight. And while you're turning there, let me tell you what a privilege and an honor it is to be here at the First Baptist Church of New Orleans. Thankful to God for our partnership together in the gospel. Uh, thankful for this day. Uh, as, we, as we gather this afternoon to kick off and to inaugurate this new ministry. Really, really grateful for the Watson family, uh, for their generosity and their activity. And I say that as one who, like Benjamin Watson, played in the NFL <laughs> in some alternative universe in which I don't have the physical form of a cricket. But in this universe, haven't. Uh, but really, really honored to be able to uh, work together and to partner in this. And I have to tell you that as I was sitting there worshiping together with you, my heart kind of sank when I looked up and I saw playing the guitar this man. And I said, uh, that guy looks just like Dr. Gerald Stevens. And Taylor sitting next to me said, that is Dr. Gerald Stevens. And I realized... He taught me Greek interpretation of Romans back in seminary, and I'm planning to preach from Romans. <laughs> so I'm kind of scared to death, and uh, if this is bad, blame it on your own. Gerald Steve. <laughs> Romans 8. I'd like for us to start reading with verse 12 and read on down through verse 23. Romans 8, 12 through 23. And since this is the Word of God, breathed out by the Holy Spirit, and is the voice of our King Jesus himself, would you please stand out of reverence for the reading of the word of our God. The Holy Spirit says this, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the firstfruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Let's pray. Holy Father, we ask right now that you would silence every spirit in this place that would exalt itself above or beside the name of Jesus Christ. Father, we ask that you would cut away from our hearts and our minds and our wills anything that is not shaped and patterned after Jesus Christ. 
And Lord, we pray that you would use your word today to help shape us and conform us into the image of Christ, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And we ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I tell people often that the creepiest sound that I've ever heard was absolutely nothing at all. My wife and I were in the former Soviet Union, walking into a Russian orphanage, meeting for the first time two little one-year-old boys that we were adopting as sons, the first time that we had ever met them. And as we were being led by the orphanage personnel down the hallway of that institution, I noticed that I could hear my own foot, my own foot. I could hear our steps as we were moving down the hallway. And I turned and, and looked and noticed in one of the doors that we were not in an empty building, that these rooms around us were filled with babies and filled with children. And yet the sound in that hallway was absolutely silent. And it wasn't until later that I learned that that's not an uncommon experience. A baby cries in order to let someone know that he's hungry or that she's scared or that he needs some holding and some nurturing. But after a while, when there's no one to respond to a baby's cry, the baby will eventually stop crying. The baby will have given up. And walking through that hallway, we passed room after room after room after room of babies who had given up. We walked in and met these two little boys that were to become our sons. We sat there with them for about an hour, and then we left in silence. Came back the next day, we're with them about an hour, then we left in silence. We went and appeared in court and started the paperwork that would take months and months and months to process. And on the last day of that first trip, we had to walk in and see those two little boys one last time before we would have to come back to the United States and wait for all of the adoption process to go through. I stood over those two little boys and not knowing what else to say and knowing they couldn't understand me at all, just said, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. And we walked out of the door into the hallway and one of those little boys fell forward in his crib and screamed. And I could feel my wife start to sort of buckle at the knees and I said to her, wait. That is the most beautiful sound I think I've ever heard. Because even in his anguish, he knows he has parents who will hear him. And it may take months and months and months for us to get him, but he knows there's someone who's going to respond to that cry. I think about that moment every single time that I come to this text, this central text in the letter that Paul is writing here to the church at Rome, where he talks about this central cry that the Holy Spirit brings forth from believers, that cry of Abba, Father, that 
cry of, of Father, the, the one that I'm crying out to, the one who will hear me, the one who will respond to me. Paul says that that cry that comes forward from believers is a cry that is coming by the Spirit and is coming by the Spirit of adoption. All believers brought into the presence of God through the Spirit of adoption. Now that has everything to do with the mission that God has called us to even today. When the Scripture says to us, that all of those who are in Christ are to care for the fatherless and the widows in their distress, the orphans and the widows in their distress. We tend to sometimes think of that simply in terms of children who have lost their parents and women whose husbands have died. But of course, what the Scripture means when it speaks of orphans and when it speaks of widows are all of those who are vulnerable children, vulnerable women, who need the response of the church, who need the response of the people who are in Christ, that is not charity. That is not somehow people acting in a condescending way toward people who are in a different situation than they're in. It is instead what Paul will say later on in the book of Romans, receiving others as you have been received. When we are caring for vulnerable children and women in distress, we are acting as those who have been where they are and who have been received through the spirit of adoption. This has to do with our gospel and this has to do with our mission. Let's notice, first of all, what Paul is saying here when he's, he's talking about this in terms of gospel. He starts off by saying here in verse 12, brothers, and we tend to just sort of pass right over that word because it's a word that we in an American Christian context have tended to see as just a spiritual way of saying friend or saying neighbor. It's the word that you use when you've forgotten somebody's name at church. Hey, brother, how you doing? And every young single Christian man sooner or later learns what it means when a single Christian woman says, I love you as a brother in Christ. And if you don't, it's not good for you. The, the word has become meaningless to us but the word would have been revolutionary to people who were receiving this letter. Saying to people who were Jewish Christians, who had grown up in the covenant of God, who had grown up with the word of God, who were steeped in the scriptures of God, and to those who were Gentiles, those who had been idol worshipers, those who were not circumcised, those who were considered to be on the outside, on the margins, unclean, saying both of you together, you're not just coexisting with one another, you are brothers and sisters with one another, you are part of one family. If, he says, you walk and you follow here the way of the Spirit rather than the way of the flesh. 
That way of the flesh is when we want to find our identity in some aspect of our creatureliness disconnected from the purposes of God. I may do that in terms of my seeking after pleasure. I may do that in terms of my seeking uh, after building up my own accomplishments. I might do that, as many people had done in this church at Rome, in terms of who my tribe is, who my family is, what my ethnicity is. No, he says if you're following that way, if you're following the way of the flesh, that's going to end in death. But if you're following Christ and you're keeping in step with the Spirit, then there's a new identity, and that new identity carries you toward life. It tells you who you are. Now, that's everything to do with fatherhood. Everything to do with fatherhood. In the first century world, if you wanted to know who somebody is, you would say, whose son is he? Whose daughter is she? And when you introduced yourself, you would say, I am so-and-so, son of so-and-so. I am so-and-so, daughter of so-and-so. He says, there is a new identity that comes upon you through this spirit of adoption. And he says, the way that you know it is through what the spirit does. Now, notice what he says. He says, the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. This passage of Scripture troubles a lot of Christians. Because there are some of y'all who spend a lot of your time just constantly worried that you're not really saved. There are some of you who are just constantly thinking through the question, am I really a Christian have I really come to know the Lord? And something will happen in your life and it'll shake you and you'll see some aspects of yourself that you don't like and you'll start questioning that. And some of you, when you come to a passage like this, it makes you even more unsettled because you think what Paul is saying here is that for people who are genuinely Christians, that there's some type of an internal teleprompter that's reassuring you you are really the child of God. You are really the child of God. Don't worry, you're really the child of God. And you say, but I'm not hearing that. That's not what Paul's talking about here. That's Jiminy Cricket. That has nothing to do with Romans chapter 8. Paul says, the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. And how does that happen? We cry using language here that would literally mean we scream, Abba, Father. That's not cooing language. This is language of desperation that comes out of Jesus' own screaming out in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, Abba, Father. And Paul says elsewhere in the book of Galatians that Jesus himself is crying out through you, Abba, Father. So often in the times when you are the most agonized, often in the times when you feel the most distant from blessing, is actually the moments when Jesus is the closest 
through the Spirit, crying out in desperation, Father, will you hear me? This explains who we are. But, but not just who we are, it also explains something about what we do. It says, if you are in Christ, if you have received the spirit of adoption, if you cry out, Abba, Father, that means that you are children of God and not just children, heirs. Now again, that word inheritance doesn't mean a lot to us in a contemporary context because we think of it as something that happens with really rich people. Some trust fund kid driving a Rolls Royce in Malibu. Or we think of it as something that's just kind of incidental. Aunt Flossie died and left us a lamp, you know. That's not what inheritance means in this context. Inheritance here means an entire way of life. If your father was a fisherman, he left you a fisherman's business. If your father was a carpenter, he left you a carpentry business. If your father was a farmer, he left you a plot of land that you would then continue on cultivating. He says, if you are in Christ, then that means that you are not only a child of God, it means that you are an heir, and you're not just an heir, you are a joint heir with Jesus Christ. What that means is you're co-signed with Jesus, so whatever it is that Jesus receives from his Father, you are included in that. And that is absolutely everything. The gospel has brought us from a place where we had nothing walking in our own power and walking in our own direction and has received us as sons and daughters of God and given us an inheritance, which means that there is a dignity in human beings, there is a worth in human beings that has nothing to do with the way that the world defines it. You'll notice that around us right now, there's often this understanding that people's value and people's worth depends upon what sort of power they have. Poor people are not considered to be worth very much because they can't do anything to you. Unborn children considered to be dispensable because they're not viable, can't live on their own. They're dependent upon a womb. None of us are viable. All of us are dependent upon the womb of the ecosystem around us. People who are dying or people who are diseased or people who are elderly or people who don't speak the language well are considered to be somehow less than anything else when the Scripture tells us you and I ought to be the people who are the most attentive to those who are powerless precisely because we are people who had been considered nothing and have been brought into the family of God. We have been given the inheritance of God. We are dealing, when we are dealing with people, every single person, no matter what their situation is right now, 
you are dealing with people in which there is a great mystery. That child with Down syndrome who wanders through the hallway right behind these doors is not a disability. He is a future ruler of the universe under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That woman that you encounter who is addicted to substances and needs you to hold her and to help her through this is not a problem to be managed. She is an heir of the universe in Jesus Christ. She is someone who reflects back to you the image of God himself. When we have experienced that spirit of adoption, when we remember who it is that we are, then we learn not only to notice the people around us that the rest of the world doesn't notice, but to love and to serve them. And it's not just that sense of our gospel identity, it's also then what we do. Notice what he says. He says, that spirit that is present within us groans at the brokenness of the world around us. Groans. We sometimes think that the filling of the spirit and the presence of the spirit means that there's this sort of constant happiness and and giddiness. That sometimes people who are really walking with Jesus are the people who always have that smile on their face. How are you doing? Oh, I'm blessed. No, no, no. He says, the presence of the Spirit often results in a sense of groaning precisely because you are looking around and recognizing this is not the way the world is supposed to be. This is not the way I'm supposed to be. You get to the point where you realize you can't control everything, you can't manage everything, you get to the point where you are humbled and humiliated and directionless and you feel like you're lost. But the Spirit prompts you to cry out, Abba, Father. And that transforms then the way that we as the church relate to others. So Paul will go on in this letter and say, since you have received this spirit of adoption, since you have received this gospel, carry it outward. Show that and embody that within the life of the church. Recognize and hear the silent cries that are around you. Right now, while we are in this building, There is a young woman, maybe less than a mile from this place, who is pregnant and doesn't know where to go, and who has scheduled an appointment for tomorrow with people who have told her, we can solve your problem. Right now, maybe less than a mile from here, there's the foster child who's been bounced from home to home to home to home and is told, no one will ever love you. There will never be a home for you. Right now, while we're in this building, there is probably a 
pre-teenage girl in a hotel room in Thailand waiting for a knock at the door from an American businessman who has paid less than he would pay for a steak dinner to do unspeakable things to her. The presence of the Spirit means that we know this is not normal. This is not what God created this world for. We are living in a war zone. We are living in occupied territory. And so we're able then to stop loving our stuff so much and to walk in the direction of the Spirit as those who have received much and be the people who are able to express that in a thousand different ways. Maybe some of you in this room that God is calling to minister specifically to pregnant women in distress. Maybe some of you in this room that you have room enough and love enough in your house that you could adopt a child into your family. Maybe others of you in this room who could be in the foster care system showing the presence of Christ. Maybe some of you in this room that God's calling to go to a hospital room with that woman with Alzheimer's who cannot recognize you at all and to sit with her and to brush her hair. There may be a thousand different ways that God is calling you, but the issue is that we are the people who have been adopted into a family when we were the weakest, when we were the the most lost And we, therefore, are the people who, out of the overflow of that, care about those the rest of the world doesn't care about. Whether they're the unborn, whether they're the poor, whether they're uh, those who are in any number of situations, we're the people who say we have been alienated from God. We have been headed for death. And yet we have been given life. So as we serve them and as we care for them, we remember and we see who we are. We remember and we say back to ourselves, this is the good news that came to us. And that's the good news that propels us out forward. And we show it by loving one another. We show it by serving with one another. And we show it by understanding that there is going to come a day when all of these silences around us are going to be disrupted. And we're going to see with the eyes of sight what we have seen only with the eyes of faith. Of something, someone who loved us in ways we were never even able to count or to understand. And we will be able to say back to him what we're learning to say now. Abba. Abba. Let's pray. Lord, there may be some in this room right now who don't know what it means to be uh, a child of God. There may be some in this room right now who think that somehow they're too far gone for you. Maybe somebody in this room who is saying, well, if anybody knew that 
she'd had an abortion or that he'd paid for an abortion or if anybody had known that he broke up his family or she was involved in any number of things. If maybe somebody's saying, you just don't understand, I'm, I'm addicted or I'm somebody who's immoral. And maybe somebody out there like that father who thinks that means that they are somehow outside the reach of your grace. Lord, I pray that you would show to them that in the cross of Jesus Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. And Lord, I pray that they would hear the words come. Lord, there may be others in this room who are aware of the gospel that they've received and you are calling them to care for others. Lord, I don't know what you're calling them to. They don't need to know right now necessarily what you're calling them to. Lord, if there are people like that out there, I pray that you would just prompt them to ask the question, Lord, what would you have us to do? Lord, who are the people that you want us to see? And we pray this, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.